welcome to New Hope's Sermon of the Week. We really hope that you'll be blessed by this week's encouraging message. God is good, isn't he? As of about 12 hours ago, just walking up these stairs would have been a challenge because I tried to lift something last night, pulled my right sciatic, went right to the ground. Anybody who's ever had sciatic pain enjoys that. Uh, you wouldn't wish it on anyone. And I was thinking, oh, don't tell me I got to text Steve and tell him I can't preach because I can't get off my basement floor. But God is good. And uh, here I am. Look at me. Hallelujah. Perambulating. Hallelujah. Is it moving? Yeah, it's supposed to move. <sighs> I wore a bit of the green for you today. A bit of the green? Um, I'm not Irish. I'm Sicilian and French-Canadian. My, my lovely wife is dressed in green. How many are dressed in green celebrating the day, St. Patty's Day? Good for you. Praise God. But I thought I would honor you and wear a little green myself. Father, thank you for this morning. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Father. You are so good. You are so good, Father. And I commit this morning to you. I commit the things that I'm going to say, the things that come out of my mouth today, Lord, I want them to make sense. I want them to connect, Father. I want to stir and, and provoke and encourage and bless. Father, help me to hear you more than anything else and uh, to be a blessing this morning. Yeah. Open our ears that we might hear and our eyes that we might see yes. all that you have for us, Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm going to talk about probably one of my most favorite things this morning. Won't be about biking. It's not my most favorite thing. And, uh, but uh, I'm excited. I love this topic. I, I don't know if it's going to become a life message for me, but uh, it's just something I love to talk about. As you've noticed, I set up before you a chess set. We'll get to that later. We've been talking a lot about 300, uh, an impression, a vision that our senior leadership has had about God adding 300 to the body, 300 people. Um, I was a little nervous because Joan, Fabian, and Mark, and <laughs> oh my goodness, people just were preaching my message today, and I was getting a little nervous that I wouldn't have anything left when they got done. I, I didn't get together and talk with anyone. We didn't, right, Mark and Joan, we didn't get ahead of time, but I am just started laughing. Oh, my goodness, this is what we're going to talk about. So 300 people, and our prayer is that they're not just transfers from other churches. Our heart is that they're new believers, new converts in Christ, people that have given their lives to Jesus, have been born again, and right? Born again, and been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's our heart for 300. Um, I'm going to go to the next slide. Thank you, Sarah. It's the name of my it's the title of my message. Bug house. Bug house. You know, when you become born again, when you give your life to Christ, um, we forget. I've been a Christian since I was and since 1977. That's when I accepted the Lord, November 1977. And we tend to sometimes forget what it's like to be born again, the newness and the excitement of coming to Jesus. 
Uh, it is the most exciting, miraculous thing that happens on the face of the earth is when someone turns their heart to God. Now, I know we've had, you know, the Red Sea parted, and we've had miracles and axe heads floats and chariots of fire and amazing stuff. Jesus fe- feeding the thousands with fish and bread. But the single most amazing miracle that happens on the face of the earth is when someone turns their life over to Jesus and we get to watch him change them. It's the most amazing thing. And nothing will stir your heart more. Nothing will fire you up and bring revival to your spirit than leading someone to the Lord. If you've ever, who's done it? It's amazing. It's like, it, it's like living. It's like being born again all over again when that happens. It's the most exciting thing to happen. You know, when, you, when someone accepts, accepts the Lord and they become born again, go to the next slide. Jesus backs the truck up on them, and he dumps all this stuff into their life. This is what immediately happens when you become born again. You ha- immediately get eternal life. John 3.16, whoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting light. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you shall be saved and you get eternal life instantaneously. You don't have to do anything for it. You'll get it. You're immediately united with Christ. Whosoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. It happens just like that when you receive the Lord. And you're justified. Your righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. You're immediately in right standing with God. Immediately heroin addict, drug addict, name the sin, name the problem. Immediately, you're right before the Father. And you're a new creation. It says anyone who belongs to Christ becomes a new creation, new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. It starts instantly. You become new. This is amazing, this salvation thing. Isn't it? Jesus backs it up and dumps it on you. Guess what? You get immediately adopted into a new family. Yet to all who did not receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You immediately become a child of God. You immediately become a child of the one who created the universe and the heavens and the stars and the constellations. You immediately become his kid. And you get all the blessings that come with the inheritance of that. And the Holy Spirit comes into you. He has anointed us and set his seal of ownership upon us. He puts his seal on you when you're saved. In our hearts is a deposit, a guarantee of what's to come. He gives you the down payment of the future immediately when you're saved. And you immediately become part of the universal church, the global church of born-again believers. Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the, with the saints and members of God's household. Is this awesome? And that all happened to you when you got saved. And then some. We could talk all afternoon about all the stuff that God does immediately when we receive him. Like that. It's incredible. 300 people born again. Children of God added to the kingdom. Angels rejoice when one soul is saved. They rejoice. Heaven stops and everyone rejoices. Because one person accepted the Lord. Next slide. You know, and then we go through the process of growing. You know, Jesus backs the truck up, and all the stuff we get immediately when we're saved, we spend the rest of our lives 
figuring out what we got. You know, it's one thing for the truck to, to back up. It's quite a different thing to have to take inventory. I don't know if you've ever worked for a business where a truck came and they dropped off pallets and stuff, and you have to break the pallets down, and you got to check it all in, right? you got to take inventory. And what do you got to do? you got to sign for it, right? I received all this stuff. you got to sign for it. You spend the rest of your life doing inventory and signing in the stuff that he gave you at salvation, right? And some of us were kind of like, you ever, you ever arrive to the airport late at night, and there's this one lone bag going around the carousel by itself? And it's just like, you feel bad for it. Right? You're like, forsaken. This bag going around, you know? Some of us, we bring baggage. Mark's talking about the orphan spirit and identity today. Amazing. We bring baggage into, with us into the kingdom. And so these new believers, Joan was prophesying this morning in prayer meeting about how we were praying for the new building. And we were praying for what God's doing there. And God's going to fill it. And her impression was that God's going to fill it with, it's going to be like a, a child, a daycare for new Christians, for baby Christians. You wouldn't drop your kid off at some place that wasn't safe, would you? Some untested place, somewhere you didn't know anybody? And the impression was that God has found that we're safe. We're a safe place Amen. for him to bring babies. Amen. We're a good daycare center for people to grow up in Christ. And God's going to fill that place yes. with new believers. Yes. And he's going to trust us to care for them. And they bring people. And you spend the rest of your life working through some of this garbage. Some of us uh, difficulty believing that God can love me as I am. That's a huge one. Some people have been Christians 10, 15, 20 years. are still struggling with the fact that God loves them just as they are. Or the mindset that we, we have to work or earn our salvation. That's a huge one. Years, decades, I struggled with that one. That somehow there's things that I could do that God would love me better or love me more. It's a big one. Or being ashamed or hesitant to ask God for good things. I'm so thankful, Lord, you saved me. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you for anything else. He's like, what are you, ridiculous? <laughs> I got stuff for you, man. I got stuff for you, son. No, no, no. I'm saved. That's off. It's enough. You saved me, Lord. I have eternal life. I have heaven. I want to ask you for another thing. It's the strangest thing in the world, isn't it? You got kids. You have children. What do you want to do? You want to bless them. You want to give them good stuff. You want to lavish stuff on them. So we bring baggage into, the, into our, our experience. And we spend years as Christians working this stuff out, getting rid of it. I'm understanding that God loves me just as I am. He loved me before I even existed. And I, don't, I can't, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing I can do to make him love me less. There's nothing I can do. Next slide. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us? When we talk about identity, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Your identity is firmly anchored in Christ's accomplishment, not yours, his strength. Uh, not Christ's accomplishments, not yours. His strength, not yours. His performance, not yours. His victory, not yours. We're anchored in Christ. He did it all. That's what he meant when he said, it is finished. He means, I did everything that could be done. 
wrapped it up with a bow. Nothing can be added to it. We'll put a little graham cookie in there for you cookie freaks. Yeah. Yeah, I knew you were here. Crazy. You don't become a new person by changing your behavior. You discover who you are in Christ, and your behavior changes accordingly. Amen? Yeah. So you, you're working into your new identity, right? Next slide. I believe in every Christian, God, when a person becomes a Christian, he puts like a homing device into you. Every Christian. I was trying to think of a couple movies. There was one years ago with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Remember that one where they were on Mars and they shot the homing device up their nose? Remember that one? <laughs> Who remember? Name that movie. Total Recall, very good. I'm a bit of a movie guy, so I may ask you movie stuff. Um, recently, this is for the new crowd, uh, Suicide Squad, right? <laughs> right? You think I'm not paying attention? I'm paying attention. It's a homing device. He puts a homing device in new Christians, and they want to get to fellowship with others. They want to be around other people like them. This is a new thing. I remember when I got saved, I wanted to be around people that kind of like explained to me what I just did. What did I just do? What happened to me? I feel different. I think different. I'm starting to act different. What happened to me? Well, you got saved. I need somebody to explain that to me. God sets the lonely in families. When you got saved, you kind of got isolated. I know I did for my family. They thought I was off the deep edge. I was raised in a religious system and that you don't walk away from. And I got saved. And when I came home and said, yippee, I'm born again, I didn't get a yippee back. <laughs> but God sets the lonely he, you find families for those that are lonely. You settles those who have been deserted into their own homes. God takes people who are born again and saved, and he, he puts a device in them where they want to be around others. It's called the local church. That's my favorite topic. I love talking about the local church. I love you guys. I do. I love the local church should have a t-shirt that says, I love the local church. I love them. I love you guys. I got to be around a whole bunch of my favoriteest people in the whole world this morning in prayer meeting. I told them, you are my favoriteest people in the whole world. I love being with you guys. I mean it, sincerely. Anybody else feel like me on that one? Yeah, I love being around you guys. The local church is a group of professing believers in Jesus Christ who meet in some particular location on a regular basis. They are the visible expression of Jesus in a given location. They are the visible expression of Jesus in a given location. See, the universal church, which you immediately become part of when you're saved, is also called the invisible church because it's around the globe and it's people who profess Jesus Christ, but you don't really know any of them. The local church is the visible church expression of Jesus. Jesus is the hope of the world, and the local church is the vehicle of expressing that hope to the world. The local church. I love the last one. God wants every local church to be the first place people think to go when they're really messed up, not the last. Amen. 
That's like culture 101 for churches. You should be the first place. We should be the first place people think of coming to when they're messed up, not the last. You got the answer, man. You've got the answer. You have the solution. You've got the cure. You've got the cure to the messed up. You carry it. You are it. You're the local church. I won't go over and beat on the wall again, but it's not this building. It's you guys. You got the answer. You carry it in you for the messed up. I was messed up before I got saved. I was messed up after I got saved. (laughs) But I was really messed up. Someday I'll share my... I was suicidal, man. If I didn't get saved, I wouldn't be here. I know that. I would have taken my life. I know it. But the local church is where we want people who messed up to feel comfortable to come. Say, help me out, man. I, I can't figure this life thing out. I'm trying. I'm failing. I'm trying. I'm failing. I don't know what to do. Yeah, man. Come to the local church. Come on Sundays. Come talk to me uh, in the office. Come talk to me out in the warehouse, wherever I am. Wherever you guys go, you're the local church. You've got the answer. You're the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. Sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? No, Jesus is the hope of the world. Guess what? The plan is that he expresses and shows himself to the world through you. You're the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. means if you don't bring it, they don't get it. Now, we heard of there are places where God is revealing himself to individuals through dreams, right? People are getting saved a lot in the Muslim community, too. God is just giving people dreams and inviting them because there is no local church there. And God's not going to just write them off. But where there's a local church, you guys, that's our assignment. Next. Next. So this is what it looks like. Let's say some new believers come to the church or some new people from other churches. They kind of go through this progression. They watch and they learn. We know. You're just checking it out, and it's cool. You're supposed to do that. I met a bunch of new wonderful people this morning. I met a Cherie, and I met a Kyle, and I met a Sarah and a Craig, people I never met before. I, I, I think it's awesome, and they're checking it out. I mean, I know they, some of them have been coming for a while, but that's the first thing you do is you come into a church body like this, and you look around. Oh, they do that. Oh, they do that. Oh, that's okay. This is where this is. They raise their hands. Oh, my goodness. They dance. They hop. <laughs> it's good. It's normal. It's what you're supposed to do. Check it out. See if it fits, right? Who buys clothes? They don't go in the change room. Try it on, right? And then after that, you know, they, they decide to keep coming back. They kind of put their toe in the water, you know? been watching people raise their hand for three weeks. All of a sudden, they're like, (laughs) they're raising their hand. Like, hey, this is cool. They do it. I can do it. I like doing this. They sing out loud. That's good. That's all good. It's all good. They they might even clap. Yes! Yes, Jesus! You know, they're getting, they got their toe in water. This is okay. I'm safe here. Nobody's going to turn around and go, what are you doing? Right? And then the third thing is they start, to, they start looking at, they start going, you know what? I want to get to know these guys, right? I think I'll get to know a couple people. Maybe I'll talk to some people. Maybe I'll see if they want to have lunch or something after church, right? Or maybe I'll go to the Wednesday night life, right? Maybe I'll get to know people. Or go to a life group. They actually start seeking out family. Amen. Completely normal. Hey, these, are, these guys aren't completely crazy. I think I'm going to start connecting, Right? <laughs> And then they go into the phase where it's a look what I have phase. 
they begin to understand that God's given them <clears throat> gifts and anointings and ministries on their life. Maybe they see somebody prophesy, or they see somebody lay the hand, their hands on someone, or, or whatever it is, and they begin to realize, hey, I, I, I have that too. Somebody shares 1 Corinthians with them about how God has set on everyone a ministry, a calling, an anointing for the common good, right? So all of a sudden, they, they step out. I'll use prophetic because I move in prophetic, and they step out, and they prophesy over somebody, or somebody kind of helps them, and the person's really blessed, and they go, wow, this is really cool. I want to keep doing that. Look what I have. I have a spiritual gift. I have an anointing. I have something that I can give to other people, and they're at that look what I have stage. Perfectly normal, perfectly good. The next stage is the bigger picture. That's why I brought the chess set today. You notice I, I already mentioned this, right? Set up a chessboard. It's the bigger picture. And the last one I'll just talk about briefly is you actually come to a place where you're not interested in what you have, but what others have and how you can help them come up in what they're called to be. You almost become invisible, and it's cool because it's not about me and what I have and somebody recognize me or somebody give me a title or somebody give me a whatever that you just say, I want to see people come up in their spirit, their gift of the spirit. I want to see people step into the ministry or the calling that God's given them, and you become invisible, helping other people to become visible, and it's so cool. Let's go to the next slide. So the bigger picture, here's a Francis Schaeffer quote. Each generation of the church, in each setting, has the responsibility of communicating the gospel in understandable terms, considering the language and thought forms of that setting. What that means is basically the church goes through an evolution, and every time there's a new generation, the church needs to learn how to communicate to that generation. You can poo-poo millennials and Xers and Yers and all that, but guess what? They're going to outlive most of us. Amen. Okay? They're going to outlive us. They have their own way of talking. They have different things that are more important to them than they were to my generation, the baby boomers. And you can write them off, then you're going to lose them. The church's responsibility is to find out how do I communicate the gospel, the good news, kingdom life, church life. How do I communicate that to the next generations? It's an assignment, right? What's a, what's a huge uh, thing that we have to learn? social media. Didn't exist. I'm a baby boomer. 20 years ago, not cell phones. I don't know. I didn't have a cell phone. When I was in high school, we didn't have cell phones. When I was in high school, on a Friday night, when I was out partying, and I needed to call my mother, tell her I'd be home late, I had to find a pay phone somewhere, stick a quarter in it, and call her. How ridiculous is that? You don't have cell phones. Go out of your nodding your heads. A lot of you extras and wires are going, what? <laughs> Each generation of the church has to find out, how do I communicate the gospel, the good news, to the upcoming generations, right? I believe that every local church has its own unique identity. This is one of my convictions. Every local church has its own unique identity or strategic characteristics. These are in harmony with its geographic location, its cultural surroundings, and its kingdom assignment. That means the church down the road is not the same as us. They're not called to do what we're called to do. We're not called to do what they're called to do. We're not in competition. 
We're not the same as Elam. Elam's not the same as us. We don't have to be the same. We have different identities. We have unique characteristics. We have things that exist in this church that don't exist in other churches and vice versa. And the sooner we get to know that and understand it, the happier and smoother we'll be. You want to know what's for dinner? You go into the pantry. You look in the pantry, you find out what's in the pantry, you know what's for dinner. Right? My grandmother lived on a huge three-story house in Winston, Connecticut. They, my, my nana and nanu, any Italians here? I never called my grandparents grandparents. It was nana, nanu, female, male. Italian for grandma, grandpa. Huge house. And my grandmother, my nana, Salvatrice, had a room off the back of the kitchen. It was a pantry. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. It's a pantry where she kept all the cans of stuff, bags of stuff, food, stuff like that. It's in the pantry. It wasn't that big. I mean, you just stepped in a little door, stepped in the door, and you're like, one, two, three steps. That was it. But it was all shelves around you. You want those three? You look in the pantry, right? We got a nice flour. It's got a protein. We got some red sauce, some mozzarella, right? Maybe some pepperonis. Maybe some Italian. We're having a pizza, right? You look in the pantry. You want to know what a church is like? You look at the church. What's God doing? Right? Who's he brought in? Who's he bringing into the church? You want to know what the church's characteristics are? Look around at you guys. Look around you. You, ha- you have a heart. God's been really been speaking to your heart, some of you, about how to get out and reach and touch people in the world. How to really bring the gospel right? And it's, it's been something you've been thinking a lot about. How do we communicate? How do I touch the world? Raise your hand if that's you. Amen. No, stand up. Do me a favor. Humor me. Stand up. <laughs> okay. Shouldn't be all of you. It's okay if it's not all of you. All right, sit down. Some of you love to teach. When you look at things, you're like me. You look at someone preach. You break their sermon down. Ah, I like what they said here. I wouldn't have said that there. I'd move this to the end. You have truths. God shows you things you would love to teach. You know you would love to teach. Stand up. That's you. Got some teachers here. Thank you. Sit down. That's good. Maybe you're like me. I love, you know, maybe you just love calling out the gold that's in people's lives. And you love moving supernatural and hearing from God and then prophesying things over people. And you love to have a word of knowledge. And you like what happens when someone gets encouraged in the Lord and God reveals himself to them. Stand up. You guys starting to see what's in the pantry? All right, sit down. It's all good. All you got to do is look in the pantry. You think there's that many prophetic people in other churches? No. We are a prophetic, heavy church. There's a lot of prophets in the church. Do you think it's an accident? No. Okay. Because that's an important question. Yeah. Some of you are just ridiculous about loving on people, seeing them get free, seeing them restored, seeing them blessed seeing God heal the things in their hearts and their lives, that's like a pastor. Stand up if that's you. See, all these people keep standing up. Okay, thank you. That's the last one. You're getting a feeling what's in the pantry? It's a lot of gifting in this church. There's a lot of anointing. There's a lot of callings in this church. Next slide. 
Who plays chess? Chess. The only way to win is not to play. <laughs> what movie is that from? The only way to win is not to play. Do you want to play chess? <sighs> Don't fail me. War games. With a very young Matthew Broderick, that was the final statement that the computer made. Bill Stein, you get a cookie. <laughs> chess. Chess. All right, so you have two teams. Doesn't matter what the colors are. Could be blue and green, red and yellow. Black and white's the standard. You have pawns across the front, and you have your royalty across the back. The royalty can only move in certain positions. A rook can only move up and down the files. The knight or the horse, the knight, can move three and one to the side or one and three to the side. The bishops move only diagonally. The queen, God bless the queen, she can move both like a rook and a bishop. The king, the poor lowly king, can only move one square at a time, one move at a time, unless he's being castled with the rook. Then he can move multiples. But he's the most important piece because you capture the king, you end the game. Gabish? So, here we are, we're playing chess. I taught all my kids how to play chess. I am not the grandmaster of chess, in case you're wondering. I am fair at best. But I taught all my kids how to play chess. My sister taught me how to play. Taught them all. The two boys took it up probably the strongest, although one of my daughters brought, bought her own chess set. This chess set belongs to my son, Paul. And I would have to say my youngest son, Thomas, took it the farthest. He would go to chess clubs. He would go to chess tournaments, uh, play. He's won awards. Really smart. Goes online, and he plays chess against. He did this for the longest time. Very accomplished. I would last probably 95 seconds with him in a chess game before he smoked me. He's just, his, his level has gone way beyond me. This chess, right? And you move out. And what you've got to do is you're going to move your pieces in such a way that you're going to capture your opponent's pieces. And when you do, you take them and you set them. You actually capture their pieces and eventually checkmate the king. Go to the next slide. This is a game that they used to play that came to mind when I was trying to think of the local church. I was, actually, I was trying to think of New Hope. How am I doing so far? Are you guys bored? Is this okay? Okay. Because if you're bored, I, I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> but here's a game. So this is how you play this game. You play in a team, two on two. Capiche? Okay. So, and the, uh, the black and the white plays the, bla uh, the white and the black. And here you set up your two uh, games accordingly. Let's just pretend I'm, staying, I'm standing behind that black. I'm playing black, right? And my partner is over here, right? This is how you play the game. As you're playing, whenever you capture a member of your opposition side, you put them on the board of your teammate. And as they capture pieces, they put them on the board of your game. See, there's only supposed to be two rooks. There's only supposed to be two knights when you play. But when you play this game, as your opponent wins, you get more and more pieces. You may have three knights. You may have four rooks. You may have ten pawns. And all that, yeah? You know what this game is called? Bug house. This is called bug house. So this is what I saw. God is winning, and he keeps putting more and more pieces 
in our board. And there are an unusual amount of rooks and bush bishops and people called to the prophetic and people called to teaching and people called to reach out to the nations and people called to this. And he keeps winning these people and putting them on our side of the board. Now, Thomas talked to me about Bug House. As soon as your partner starts winning and you get all these pieces, you can pretty much crush your enemy in seconds. Because who knows what to do when you got all these rooks and knights and bishops coming at you. There's only supposed to be two. Now your opposition has four of them. And you're like scrambling. It puts the end to the game pretty quick. And when I had this picture, I was thinking of new hope. And I really believe that that's what he's doing. God is bringing people in and setting them on our board. They're not only new believers, but they're people from other churches. And he's also raising people up from within. He's stacking the deck at new hope with many, many, many gifted people. Bug house. Kapish? Kapish. Yeah. In case you're not Italian, Kapish means understand? Yeah. That's what he's doing here. And it bothers me because I can't walk around this church very much anymore. And I just, I keep walking by people with just incredible potential and anointing upon their life. It's starting to bother me a little bit. I don't just see, you know, Wayne and Chick and Bill and Carol. I just walk by you guys. I know, I know you're human and you've got a heartbeat, but I see in you potential and I see in you great anointings. And there's so many of these people. And I keep saying, God, why is this? What is up with this? Why are you stockpiling all these people in this one place? This makes no sense to me. And he keeps bringing people in. It's like Bug House all the time. I walk around. It's Sam Pernicow. There he is. Gift of prophetic on him. And there's other people. Mike over there has a calling. I didn't even mention what God's put on his heart. And there's people. And God's too. Joni. Hi, Joni. I call Joni, Joni, because I have a sister, Joan. And I call her Joni. So I told her right off the bat, I'm going to call you Joni. <laughs> is that okay, Joni? She says it's okay. And I look at New Hope and I say, why is God bringing all these people in this place? Is it an accident? No. Is it a mistake? No. Remember we talked about God puts people in families. There's a big mistake in Christian churches, and Christians make it, is they think that they just kind of make their own choices and decisions. Like, I came and I left. It's quite possible God brought you here quite possible God set you in this place for a reason. And you need to see that. Otherwise, you're always going to feel like I can leave as easy as I came. I came in under my own and I can leave whenever I want. But if you look at the local church and you realize that it is the hope of the world, then you start to understand and maybe grasp, hi Frank, I only know you through Bob, Some of you just really have a passion for healing. And you really want to see God do incredible, miraculous healing on a regular basis in this church. Stand up. What a coincidence. Thanks, you can sit down. That's another one I forgot. You think this is an accident? I want you guys to realize. Next slide. The local church is the hope of the world. God sets believers into the local churches. He fits and fashions individuals together like living stones. Yes. Ephesians 2, 19-22. Every local church has its own unique identity and strategic characteristics. We function best when we embrace the bigger picture. 
We know who we are. We're excelling in our uniqueness. And we're celebrating and pursuing his assignment for us as a church. Hey, Sarah, can you go back to the picture that was at the beginning? Is that doable? You know how you make it stop moving? Stare at one place. Stare at it. And the picture stops moving. You know how you make the church stop moving? Stare at just one thing. Maybe it was an offense. Maybe it was a hurt or a grudge. Maybe it was something that wasn't handled correctly. Maybe you didn't get recognized for your gift. Maybe God called somebody else instead of you. Wow, it just got real, didn't it? That's how you stop the church moving. Focusing on one thing. Usually it's something that has to do with me. Church is just full of people holding grudges, hurt, feel they've been looked over, stepped over, offended, and they're staring at one thing, and their church isn't moving. We are only good when we look at the big picture. We want everyone to come up into their call and their destiny. And the more I live in this church and I'm part of it, the more I realize I'm like one of those invisible people. I want to see people come into all that God has called them to be. I want to see them come into the fullness of their destiny and calling. I want to help them go to the next level. And it doesn't really even matter if anybody ever recognizes me. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this and someone who lays down his life for another. And I always thought that meant like somebody was like holding a gun to someone and I was going to step in front and take the bullet. Well, maybe that exists in other parts of the world because there is such a strong persecution. But maybe laying down your life is saying, you know what, maybe I'm going to put what I'm pursuing to the side to see other people come up into what God's called them to be. Because what's more important than just one individual is the big picture. It's the common good. The gifts of the Spirit were given to individuals for the common good so that the church would be built up and so that it would be the hope of the world that would reflect in every way, in love, in authenticity, in power, it would reflect to the world Jesus. That's our assignment. Amen. Look like Jesus and bring, the heaven, and bring heaven down to earth. Amen. We're only good if we step back and see the big picture. Go to the last slide, Sarah. Or whoever's there, I'm sorry. It might not be Sarah. This is Philip Yancey's. I look around on Sunday morning at the people populating the pews. I see the risk that God has assumed. For whatever reason, God now reveals himself in the world, not through a pillar of smoke or fire, not even through the physical body of his son in Galilee, but through the mongrel collection that it compromises my local church and every other such gathering. This is what he has chosen. He's going to reveal himself to the world through the local church. And the local church needs to think bigger. We need to see that we're part of something that God has endorsed, that Jesus died for, that he loves dearly. 
You guys have the answer. We have the answer. That's my message. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know who we are. And we're better together than we are apart. We're better when we function as one rather than pieces. We're better when we defer to others for the common good to see the church. I think that's why they said rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn for those who mourn. Think of more than just yourself. Think of the bigness of what we're called to do. I want you to think of the bigness of what we're called to do. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love the local church. I thank you for every person in this place. I don't know all of them, Lord. But I know you, and I know that you have put within each person a passion, a driving heartbeat, a desire to do significant things in the kingdom, to be your hands and your feet and your face to the world, Lord. I know it's true. Father, I pray that you would unite our hearts it's better if we go forward as one than in pieces, Lord. Amen. I pray that you would unite our hearts Amen. to see the bigger picture, to see what you're doing, and to link arms with each other and move forward. Yes. You know, if there's anyone here that you've never made a commitment to Jesus and you would like him to back the truck up on you, you can't figure this life thing out and you can't make it work and you're about to give up. You don't have to give up. I have the answer for you. It's a person. If you would like someone to pray for you, just come up and see me afterwards and I'll pray with you. Father, thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us. If you'd like more information or additional resources, please check us out at newhopecom.org. Thanks and have a blessed week.